Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that brings you deep dive interviews with the motorcycle industry insiders and racers that make the sport move. I'm host Dale Spangler, and this week my guest is David Zemlo, Vice President of Marketing for legendary aftermarket performance brand SNS Cycle. This episode is brought to you by Moto America. See the fastest racing on two wheels. It's Moto America Superbikes at Barber Park, May 19th through the 21st. See six classes of racing featuring 190 mile per hour superbikes. It's fun for the whole family with available VIP and camping packages. Treat yourself to the ultimate fan experience with the Moto America VIP experience. It's Moto America Superbikes at Barber Park, May 19th through the 21st. Get your tickets and camping spot today at MotoAmerica.com. Let's get started. We'd like to welcome to Pit Pass Moto, David Zemla. David, how are you today, and how has your year been so far, uh, personally and with SNS Cycle? Oh wow, that's a lot of questions. Um, I'm good. <laughs> year, year is year has been really good. SNS has been excellent. Company is doing very very well. Doing a lot of fun stuff lately. Got into the off road space, so that's been kind of exciting. So yeah, year's starting off good. Good. We talked before we came on a little bit. You had a pretty busy weekend. Uh, the Western Power Sports sales meeting was last week, and then you had Road Atlanta, King of the Baggers, yeah. and uh, the Dallas Half Mile Flat Tracks. So you guys were just all over the place. Yeah, we've got got crews all over the country. Yeah, WPS thing. We uh, we launched our off road division of them. Spent some quality time with their crew. You know, you're obviously you're pretty familiar with Western. That's pretty cool kid stuff to have your own motocross track in your backyard. Yes. So their their compound was fun to visit and spend some time with their reps. So that was very cool. And Atlanta went uh, pretty well for us. You know, it would have been, been fun to come home with first. But, uh, you know, our King of the Baggers bike was pretty damn competitive against a very, very well-funded Harley corporate team. So I'll take that. Yeah, I think what Tyler won the sprint race, though, didn't he? Tyler O'Hara. Yeah, the bike is really fast. Uh, we're we always kind of struggle with chassis. So and it's it's the inherent design of the bike because it's the engine is a stressed member of the the chassis. So Harley can get away with some stuff that we can't get away with. Yep. So we're making good power. Like we're plenty fast. It's just it's managing it is always the challenge. Yeah, they even mentioned that on the the Moto America. Yeah, you know, the announcers they talked that up when I was watching it over the weekend. They're like the differences between those two bikes is like it's you know pretty pretty big differences. It's pretty wild considering you know they're both V twins. The uh, the Challenger is you know it's a very very clever design with you know cast aluminum frame head and everything, and right up until you make a track bike out of it, <laughs> and then it just fights you. So. We're getting better. If you noticed, so Tyler did some wheelies on the bike and it's nice and stable now. If you kind of think back to last year's video of him doing the same wheelie and the rear end of the bike wiggled under him. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. He he's unfazed by it. Tyler's an amazingly sorted rider. I think if a rear end of a 600 pound motorcycle square danced under me while I was wheeling, I'd probably put it down. But uh, he he never did, and still probably won't. So, but not, bike's nice and stable as far as that stuff goes now. So that's really been an advantage for us. Yeah, I think that's an understatement with his, like his bike control is just next level because even how hard he like will charge into the corners on that big bike and just somehow get it stopped. It's wild. Like, yes. Blows my mind away for sure. The uh, the team holds their breath a lot when he's on the track. <laughs> You're so, exhausted. And, uh, Jeremy McWilliams, who is, he's probably only a year or two away from being 60. Wow. Uh, I didn't realize he was that old. Oh yeah. Oh Yeah. You know, he put it down into the air fence on Saturday, got right back up. The crew spent six hours building a bike from the ground up. Jeez. Saturday night, so he could race on Sunday. And he was still out there kicking ass. I mean, he's he's putting the hurt on a fair amount of people. Yeah, he's a legend for sure. You know, like I remember I spent some time over in Europe, and I remember seeing him race over there 20 years ago, you know. And oh, so yeah, I, right. Yeah, dude's a test rider for KTM. Yeah. Just, like, this is his job. And then we fly him over here and he spanks some young guys and then goes back home. <laughs> so maybe for some listeners out there that might not know SNS Cycle, legendary, you know, performance aftermarket company, tell a little bit more about what SNS is, you know, kind of known for. Well, SNS turned 65 this year, which is kind of a huge milestone. So it started in 50s as a uh, a performance part company. Uh, original owner was drag racing and was making some cool stuff to make his bike go faster. Started selling the parts. Eventually uh, moved the whole program to Wisconsin thinking he was going to get away from the big crowds, which if you've been to where we are, he, he achieved that. Because we were in the middle of nowhere. The, you know, that we've that's been our jam is building high performance V-twins and now uh, into metric stuff and UTV and making stuff go faster. Yeah, so what what stemmed the uh, the idea to go into the UTV segment? Because, I mean, obviously that's been one of the biggest growing segments. Yeah. But um, it just seems like an odd, you know, you're doing all this V-twin stuff and then UTV, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it's a crazy company in the background. You know, like the part you see where is a lot of V-twin stuff is really kind of a just the front end of it. The back end of it is all kinds of crazy stuff. Like we build all of the cams for Indians motorcycles. Mm. So we've got we've got some hardcore UTV enthusiasts here. I mean, there are regularly, you know, Rangers and um, Can Ams parked in our parking lot, just guys driving to work. So there, there's the enthusiasm within the organization was kind of the basis of it. And then you look at the space, and it's you know our jam's making stuff go faster, and we're we're uh, we don't we don't care about how many wheels. Well, I would imagine the acceptance has been immediate, you know, in that segment just because of the. The reputation of SNS. And so I would imagine it was welcoming you with open arms into the segment. You know, we were worried about that at first. Um, we did a ton of research before we even stepped in. We we're at a dealership in Arizona. You know, we're talking, hey, you know, how come this Can Am with $20,000 worth of accessories bolted to it has a stock exhaust? <laughs> you know, we're trying to get our heads around the space. And the dealer says, hey, do you need any bikes? Well, wow, that's a really weird question from a Can Am dealer. He says, no, that's the number one traded in vehicle for these things is a Harley bagger. <laughs> We're all, huh, okay, well, that tells us that, you know, we, we share a lot of the same customers. So that was kind of encouraging, you know, and I guess maybe with age camp comes a cage. So that uh, that was encouraging because we, we thought about doing a couple of different moves as far as how we entered the market. And after a handful of the same conversations, 
made sense to kind of bring it in as SNS. Makes sense. Now, so you also have, uh, like you kind of alluded to it already, that you're making some OEM parts for Indian, but you also have collaboration with Royal Enfield, I believe. Yeah. So how so? Like, what what are you doing with those two brands? And besides, I know you support their racing efforts, but um, in addition to that. Yeah, the Royal Enfield thing has been a really, really neat experience. You know, they have what they call a slide school all over the world, uh, largely in India, teaching people how to flat track. So we we designed the bikes and supply the parts for those. And they actually, they build them now. Years back, uh, they said, hey, we've got a new vehicle coming, a twin cylinder 650. And we want to launch the thing with some sort of race bike to prove durability. We're all racing. That's our jam, right? Bring it on. Send us a bike. So they said, yeah, um, we're going to send you a motor. We don't have a finished chassis yet. I said, <laughs> okay. So they sent us a motor and said, figure it out. We actually hung the motor. We had a, we bought a used, I don't remember what it was, hung the motor from it so we could do some dyno work and develop parts. You know, we've since done a big bore kit and cam and all kinds of parts for the 650 twin. And the thing ends up being a really durable motor. Johnny Lewis is running it in uh, flat track and is relatively competitive. So, you know, the whole, hey, it's Indian made, it can't possibly be good is kind of yesterday's news. So we, we work with them on a ton of projects. Um, for that initial launch, we did a, a salt flat bike, set a bunch of records with it. Wow. So that was kind of fun. They bought Harris Performance. I don't know if you remember who they are. So they were a British chassis builder and they bought them and that has become their design headquarters in the UK. Mm, okay. So they they sent us this crazy fillet braised chassis and we went out, we sent a ton of records with it and I've got two of them in my garage right now. I mean, they're they're very fun, sorted, really reliable bikes, and they seem to tolerate throwing horsepower at them. Well, I seem to recall that little tidbit of historical information you just shared about the frame company. I was lucky enough to be one of the people invited to Royal Enfield's Scram 411 intro last September. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, we stopped at your facility, and uh, gosh, just what, what an amazing part of the country. Like I had no clue. You know, we rode from Milwaukee over there. They, they, yeah. I think it's called the Driftless region, which it is, is a yeah. really cool historical region. The quick backstory is called Driftless because the glaciers that flattened Kansas and all those other states stopped before they got here. So the, the glacier stopped drifting. So we are all these crazy valleys and streams and rolling hills that you just don't even see in the Midwest. It looks more like Black Hills of Sturgis. So it's gorgeous country, So which is a fun twist considering we are in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and I think I remember hearing this something about like you guys are like the biggest user of either it was power or natural gas. It was power, yeah. <laughs> so the nearest town is 600 people. We're not even actually even in that town. <laughs> uh, we are the largest consumer of power from the power company, the local power company. So much so that they come and visit us and every time we add a big machine, we talk to them. We let them know that, hey, we're adding something else that draws power. We also, during the winter, we also get propane delivered to us every single day. <laughs> so, yeah, it's pretty wild. I mean, there's deer in the parking lot. We have a we have a trout fishery right next to us. There's, like, super high-end um, fly fishing. Oh, so we have a track right up the road. So it's about a block and a half, two blocks away. So that's where we do some development for the UTV stuff. And that's where we did a lot of development for the fly track stuff. Right behind it is this ridiculous trout fisherman paradise. And I'm not a fly fisherman, but yeah, that's apparently super cool. With, you know, deer in the parking lot and the uh, we're in this tiny little valley. So it's pretty wild. My, my first trip here, I was interviewing 
And I thought I was lost because who would have a company this far away from civilization? Yeah. And there's no cell service out here. So I, oh, I'm screwed. I'm going to be late for my interview. And sure enough, there you go. You come around the corner and there's this whole freaking com- company. I think we're 220-ish people in this this compound. And then we have another one in La Crosse, just a little bit west. Well, I imagine it makes it a little challenging to kind of lure people there. But the ones that do kind of get it and understand that if they want to look for something like that, I mean, it's got to be just paradise living in there because they're just you don't see a lot of cars. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. It's not wife-friendly has been our experience. <laughs> So we get a lot of guys just going, hey, this is a hunting, fishing, riding paradise. And a lot of wives going, you are 45 minutes from the nearest Starbucks. So, yeah, uh, I've brought a bunch of people out here. Interesting, largely from California. You know, they're all still sticking around, kind of enjoying the lifestyle. And it's it's really inexpensive to live here. And it's gorgeous. So as long as you can kind of get your head around winter, that's that's the transition part. Yeah, I can imagine the winters probably are pretty brutal. Um, You know, actually, I don't think they're brutal. You know, they're they're definitely winter. But, you know, I took a fat biking when I first got here. We bought sleds and it's, you know, you do winter stuff. So it's it's not bad. Well, it's one heck of a place to ride a motorcycle. So we, like, we rode the Scram. It was just so perfect for that bike. Felt like we were in a race at some point because we were like we were just drafting off each other, you know, because those bikes are you can you can only run them so hard. And so it's, it's actually really fun because you're, you're a little bit limited by the power. Yep. And so to me, that was just almost like, man, they need to have a spec class for that. And <laughs> Yeah, we actually, right after that, I'm all, I need one of those. So we have one here now and we're building some parts for. Yeah, that, that was a fun little bike. The The roads here are, I mean, there isn't a straight road anywhere near here. So and it's really tight twisties. Yeah. So a small bike really excels. I don't, I don't know about as small as a 400, but it, a smaller bike is genuinely more fun on these tiny little twisties. Yeah, it, it was fun. I felt like I was in one of those like Red Bull Rookies Cups or something because we're all just like, we can all only go so fast. Yeah, like a whole <laughs> mob of them rolling in here was kind of fun. Yeah, we were getting looks everywhere we went. That's for oh, sure. Oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> well, how, uh, I'm curious to know, how did you land your role with SNS? Because I think you've been with them since 2015. Yeah. And uh, you're kind of an industry guy like myself, uh, been around for you know a long time. Like I'm 30 years in the industry now. And so, yeah, it's I've, a lot of parallel. I'm sure we ran into each other at uh, Western. We had to have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure of it. Yeah. Um, I had a midlife crisis in the mid nineties, um, quit doing what I was doing, spent a year building a Jeep, kind of hung out, decided after that I needed to probably get a real job and I got married and um, I saw an ad in the LA Times, because back then you looked at an ad in the LA Times for a company in La Palma, which ended up being a performance machine. And uh, kind of, and I'd only, I'd had one Harley prior to that and I hated it. <laughs> you know, I was kind of more of a sport bike guy and a dirt bike guy. Joined them in like probably mid 90s, 96-ish something, and hung around there for six or eight years. Did a bunch of really fun stuff, kind of caught the beginning of the revival of Harleys, you know, it was kind of, it was the boomers just uh, hucking money and time and <laughs> all the TV that supported it. And that was, that was a really, really fun time. Then uh, got caught up in the mag group, which in its origin was kind of, it was intended to be the best of the best of the motorcycle aftermarket. And it was a venture capitalist that was buying multiple companies. And in the beginning it started pretty strong and that was kind of fun. It, you know, it owned Vance and Hines and J&P. And um, one day I got a call and they said, hey, I need your help. And I was I was working for the corporate structure at the time. 
So uh, Progressive Suspension, which did high-end suspension and is still around, had lost their marketing team and said, hey, can you come fix this thing? So spent a bunch of years there. Um, at one point, they gave me a whole brand. They said, we're not sure what to do with it. And that was a Burley brand. You know, so I, I think it had 300 grand in revenue when I got it and four something million when when I left. Oh, wow. So across a couple of years. So that was really fun. Got to got to be really involved in the product development end of it, which was really, really fun. The It had no marketing budget. I had Facebook and some T-shirts. <laughs> that was like my whole marketing budget for that. So it was neat, kind of scrappy, kind of, you know, it was neat creating something like that. And and then uh, when Mag got, got kind of froggy there, um, I said, you know, I, I got to get out of here. And I was living on the 91 freeway in California. I was doing three minimum three hours a day on the freeway. Oh. So I was losing my mind and I knew I had to do something different and got a call from SNS and flew out just to kind of check it out. And, you know, the culture difference between, you know, I was in Corona in California, so it's kind of the motocross capital of probably everything culture shock more like a yeah right into <laughs> a you know a town that was well my my daughter's high school in california had more people in it than the town we lived Jeez. in right you know and i got a i got a kid i got two one kid in high school and one going in high school at the time so um i did a year just kind of going back and forth trying to get my head around it and my family towards the end of that first year said you know what let's give it a go and I give them a ton of credit. It was a really brave move on their part to yeah. just go, yep. I'm doing it. My daughter did her final year in high school, a graduating class of like 68. And my son did his entire high school career here. And it, it all worked out lovely. Daughter went away to college and is a vet now. And my son started his own business. And the rural living kind of gives you a freedom that you just can't get in kind of highly populated Southern California. You know, the kids, we were able to turn them loose and kind of give them a sense of owning their own world. It made all the difference. And it's worked out lovely. It sounds like a little bit of a blessing in disguise, you know, like from what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there were some very, what we'll call um, challenging conversations with my wife in the beginning. <laughs> Something about questioning my sanity, stuff like that. <laughs> and, you know, they, right now, if I had said, hey, I'm thinking about moving again, she'd have me killed. She has settled in very nicely and, you know, it's very inexpensive to live here and really, really good people. We'll get back to the conversation in one moment. But first, here's a word from our sponsor. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's talk a little bit about marketing. You being the vice president of marketing there at SNS. What are your thoughts on the current state of, I like to call it the roar, we're in the roaring 20s again. We're in something. Yeah, we're definitely in something. I still have a couple of magazines that we leverage that do a pretty okay job. And there's there's a weird authority to being in a magazine. You know, digital is kind of, everybody's there and you don't trust it. And there's a lot of banner blindness and stuff like that. Oh, but yeah. a magazine has a weird significance now. So we're actually in a couple of those still. 
We do, obviously, we do a hell of a lot of social media. You know, I have a team devoted specifically to it. Um, we have a full-time video guy. You know, it, it's definitely Wild West. Um, a little bit of, you know, chat GPT stuff's going to start changing things. Yeah. You know, we're already experimenting with that tool. I don't know if I'm in love with it yet. You know, we're having it do some stuff and asking it some questions and see if it'll come up with something valuable. I think my, my favorite part is the data. I have six screens in front of me at any given moment, <laughs> including live site data. So I know how many people are on my website and what they're doing at any given moment. You know, I have sales off of the site. I have a whole ton of analytics sitting in front of me at any given moment. And that's, for me, you know, that is such a neat tool by comparison to the old, you know, publishing days or print days when, you know, you did an ad and then 90 days later that ad published and you hoped it did okay. Yeah. Couldn't pivot if it didn't. Yeah. You know, within 24 hours, if we do a post and it didn't work or wasn't effective, we can pivot. So and I, that part of it, I really enjoy. Well, we've all heard that term content is king, but like lately I'm thinking, when does it become almost too much? Because I feel like it's gotten to the point now where it's becoming harder and harder, you know, like with the attention spans for us to get our content in front of people and for them to even see it and pay any attention to it. It's well, first off, it's pay to play. If you're not spending money on social media, then you are wasting your time on social media as a brand. Yep. So it's absolutely pay to play, which is fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but the content is king thing is still very much true. It's just, you know, it's up to your game. You know, the days of just posting a picture with seven words below it are dead. You know, your content has to be much more compelling than that. Your content needs to be moving. Your content needs to have music. You know, we're we're planning stuff months and months ahead and really thinking about what we're doing. And, I, you know, at the end of the day, social media is social. Like, this is a conversation with your customer. You know, and if I came up to you and every single day I said, buy an air cleaner, then the next day I said, buy an air cleaner. And I, you know, you'd stop talking to me. So, and I think, you know, social media is pretty much that just in digital form. Definitely. Well, you have, you guys have your own podcast, I think, Performance Times Podcast. We do. Yeah. <laughs> Not as cool as yours. I feel like this, it's just another extension of kind of what we were talking about. It's just another way to reach a different audience. and it, it, It's a know. touch point. Yeah. During COVID, you know, all the events got shut down. We're big events guys. You know, I've got a semi and a whole crew. And so we're really big events guys. And it felt like we were we were kind of losing touch with our, with our customer. And you know, that's no fun. So we, we were doing zoom trainings and all the stuff everyone else was kind of doing during COVID and podcasts seemed to be like the next obvious move. So we, we scripted it and we did a couple and it got really, really positive reviews. Well, I think it would have been better for us if we got negative reviews because then we could have crossed that one off the list. Because <laughs> you know the deal, podcasts are hard. It's a lot of work. There's yeah, a ton of work. <laughs> There's a ton of planning and scripting and you know editing and everything. That's it is a fair amount of work. So it ended up being this other channel that that we're now. If we're late, like people send us hate mail. That's funny. Yeah, I had, somebody asked me that recently. I had a, a mountain bike racer, a female mountain bike racer that I'm friends with. And she asked, like, I want to start a podcast. So she was asking me questions. And I said, one of the biggest things I've found is like that repetition. People start to look forward to it. And like you said, they're kind of disappointed if it's not there, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like you're getting attitude, <laughs> right? Because you're a week late with your podcast. It's really funny because we do a Q&A session. We end every podcast. So we get a roughly a thousand tech emails and calls every month. So we grab a handful of them and answer them on the podcast. 
figure it's the same question across who knows how many people. So we now get people who will DM us on Facebook with a question, hoping it's going to be on the podcast. You got that evergreen content that's out there now. So hopefully like that will come up in search potentially, you know, if someone asks that question. I, you know, you know, you know the drill. Podcast has really shit analytics. Yeah. Um, our host gives us downloads, you know, and I don't know necessarily know where they are. Or I, you know, so it. I, I'm hoping podcast analytics get better than what they are right now. Yeah, they're pretty uh, loose, if you want to call it that, because I yeah, feel like right. it's- Yeah, right. I don't yeah. trust any of it. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't trust any of it. So, uh, you know, we, we've got enough data to say, hey, there's fair enough, fair amount of people are listening. So we'll, we'll take that. As a brand, you know, you're always looking for a fresh way to talk to your, your customer. And there's something about a podcast that humanizes it. Yeah. You know, you get, you get the sense these are- these are just other people who just dig motorcycles as much as you do. So it has this kind of human quality to it, which we have found it was very well embraced. Yeah, I agree. Like it's, it definitely showcases more of a, the personality and human aspect of the brand. Yeah, which is kind of neat. You know, I don't want to be the personality of a brand, but it's been really cool. My marketing director does it with me and we'll get questions directed to one of us. Hey, Dave, I'm, I'm putting this part of my bike and... Like you're all, oh, I'm not the expert, man. I'm just the guy on the podcast. <laughs> but it's been very fun. So we'll take it. Well, I'm sure they appreciate that honesty too, because there's nothing worse than, you know, like to me, like the fake it to you make, it doesn't work in my mind because I'm like, I'd rather have somebody tell me they don't know than to oh, make totally. something yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, um, actually, so we, we, we play Stump the S&S guy at events and everything else. So we just did a dealer training for our off-road division. So uh, we we did a call. I probably had half a dozen different dealers on the call, and we're we're going through the turbo kit we just recently launched and a bunch of other hard parts for UTV stuff. And I, I said, hey, you know, here's the deal: stump the SNS guy. I will send you a $700 exhaust if you can stump me, as a way of saying thank you for making me better at what I do. Very cool. It's very fun. It's very fun. Yeah. Like you'll get guys going, okay, dude, you know what's the torque spec on? You're all, oh, come on. <laughs> Uh, I love that game. And we just did it again when we were training at WPS. We were handing out t-shirts to anybody who could ask us a hard question. And, you know, I love it. Stump me, man. Make make me better. Make me research something so I'm better at this next time I do it. That's fun. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the Weisco guys doing those top-end rebuild contests. I mean, that's just all really kind of yeah, fun stuff. Yeah, that's brutal. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, no, it's it's good stuff. I Like I said, we're, we're a very digitally-oriented marketing team. And, you know, I think we leverage it probably about as well as you can, but uh, it's, it is very fun. Well, something else I noticed that you guys are a part of, which I always like to kind of highlight when brands give back to the sport, and, and that's the Strider All Kids Bike Program that you've been a part of. And I think I saw where you also had the opportunity to go launch a reading program in the kindergarten. That sounded pretty cool, too. I mean, it's, you're doing some really neat stuff. Yeah, right. Oh, you're paying attention. So... We're in the middle of nowhere and there's these, there's relatively small schools, you know, so they don't get a ton of funding. You know, they're, they're scrapping to make stuff happen. Every one of the schools around us are really well sorted, but they're really, really small. You know, we had talked to the Strider guys in Sturgis one year, said, you know, we can figure out how to do that. My, my wife works in the school district. She, uh, she had mentioned that we were talking about it and suddenly I get a phone call from a kindergarten teacher who says, hey, let's figure this out. So we we work with the Strider Foundation, which is All Kids Ride. You know, it's that's their charity arm. 
And essentially what the company does is a donation to that. And then they do the bikes and the helmets and the pedal kits and a whole um, program for the teacher, which is kind of neat. That went over, we did that last year and it went over really huge. Like we had parents stop us on the street and say, thank you. And it was really fun. And just the look in the little faces as they take off is kind of rad. So we did, we just did it again for another local school. And this teacher was super sorted, had had the curriculum dialed, had already reached out to all kids right herself. Like she had it dialed. So we were frankly, we just added a couple of the pedal kits and the way they ship, there's a accessory pedal kit. So you get the kids used to balancing and then you add the pedal kit and then they ride away. And so we just added those as well. And it's, it's super gratifying. So the, the reading program was a, another, a third school that um, they do a book giveaway every year. So they give every kid a book in the whole school, not just kindergarten. And they give them a book. And this year it was the mouse and the motorcycle. Perfect. So, right. So they reached out and they're all, hey, would you be interested in helping us launch this? You know, they do a big assembly and the principals there and everything. And the principals, yeah, here's the deal. I'm going to wear a mouse costume and ride one of the electric bikes through the auditorium. Well, you know what? That's batshit crazy. We're in. So we brought in one of the electric Indians. We put a motorcycle in their library. You know, we showed up with photographers. It was really fun. It was really, really fun. Yeah, such a grad. Like I was lucky enough when I was at Tucker, spent a, three years with them after Western. And I tell you, it's being a part of one of those Strider presentations is just super gratifying. Like I just, all the smiles on the faces and just, yeah. It was weirdly good. Yeah. You know, and my, my kids are long gone now. I'm empty nester. So it's been a, been a minute since I, you know, I put a helmet on some little face. We had such a good time that my entire crew volunteered to come back and do the second one. As soon as they heard about it, they're all, well, we're in. I'm all, oh, okay. (laughs) Nice. So yeah, it was, it was very cool. And we know the local news picks it up and that's kind of fun. And so it's good stuff. So I think we're already planning next year's. And I think as a company, we've always been really, really big about supporting our, our community. Like we have our own cars and coffee this summer. You know, it's cars, bikes, and coffee, I guess. But it's, you know, we've gone out of our way to kind of support the community. And that's, it's a, I don't know, it's kind of part of a rural life. You know, it's, it's, you're pretty tight with everyone around you. And it's, it's pretty gratifying. Well, one, one final question. What's, uh, what's on the agenda for you uh, and SNS uh, going forward for the rest of the year? You got so many big events coming up? For me, you know, I, I sit at a desk all day long. So I, I go to my way to kind of try and stay connected to the space. So I build bikes whenever I can. You know, I use the parts that I sell. And I, I don't know how many guys at my level are even doing that or touching, you know, actual motorcycle parts. But I, I go out of my way to do that. So this this year we did a contest. One of my uh, my media guy comes in and says, here's my plan. And this was kind of like early in the winter. He says, uh, we're going to do a Sportster throwdown. And all of us are going to build bikes. And then we're going to let the Internet judge them. <laughs> it was really fun. <laughs> it was really goofy fun. So And I did not win. So I was really bummed by that. But it was really, really fun. So I'm finishing up that bike, um, and then I've got a couple other projects. Actually, I'm building a, a Royal Enfield right around the corner. Sweet. So that was kind of fun. Um, and then for the company, you know, we've got we got a bunch more off-road stuff. We got a couple of more um, Royal Enfield things. We have some we have some neat exhaust coming. You know, we're kind of the only guys in the space that were focused on emissions compliance, especially the Harley space. Uh, up until very recently, didn't give a crap, and they were convinced that if you had a catalyst in your motorcycle. It was going to give you cooties. <laughs> so it, the M8 kind of changed that. So that's, you know, the latest iteration of Harley's engine families. It actually kind of likes the back pressure. 
So if you open up bike fully, it, it kills bottom end. So we, you know, we've really gotten good at making power with emissions compliance tied to it. You know, automotive industry has that dialed. You can buy 800 horsepower car right from the factory. Motorcycle industry is way, way behind. So that's kind of become our jam. We, we actually have a in-house emissions lab, you know, kind of the only guys in the space that are even thinking at that level. And up until recently, we were probably too far ahead of the market. And now that that's become a thing, you know, the, I have to imagine by next year, most of the exhaust companies have some level emissions compliance. EPA and CARB are coming down like nobody's business. So you're either part of the solution or you're not. So we've, we've got a bunch of really cool exhausts coming up. We've got some more UTV stuff coming. So that's kind of cool. We have a, we launched a 132 inch big bore kit for the new M8s. So this is like a 130, 140 horsepower bolt-in kit. So we've got another iteration of that coming, which is, you know, you can take an M8 and nearly double its horsepower, which is pretty nutty. And they're arm stretcher. They're so fun. Oh my God. They're so <laughs> fun. You know, and it's a much better chassis than the twin cam chassis. So it, it'll tolerate having some power and it's, that is a good time. Well, David really appreciate you coming on today and sharing some of your story and, uh, yeah, just appreciate it. And, uh, any last words before we close out this episode? Hey, uh, thank you for having me, man. I, I really appreciate it. You know, we're fans of your work and, you know, we've kind of followed you along through your your history there. So thank you for uh, for bringing me on, for kind of letting me share a little bit about this crazy brand. And hopefully we, uh, we see each other on the road. Absolutely. Well, again, appreciate your time and thanks so much. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to follow Pit Pass Moto on your favorite podcast listening app so you never miss an episode. And if you have a moment, please rate and review our show. We'd appreciate it. You can also follow us on social media or visit pitpassmoto.com where you can listen to past episodes and purchase your very own Pit Pass Moto swag. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Halverson and the production team at Wessler Media. I'm Dale Spangler. I hope you'll join us next week for another episode of Pit Pass Moto. Thanks for listening. Ready to up your game and learn more about the thrilling world of sports betting? Introducing Double Down with Breslow, the ultimate podcast about the business of sports gambling. Join me, James Breslow, and a long list of expert guests as we dive into the art and science of the sports betting industry. Evolving regulations, technology enhancements, and the meteoric rise in the number of players makes this sector the fastest growing and most intriguing in the world. Unlock the business secrets from many of the industry's most recognizable C-suite executives, including famous odds makers and influencers. Every episode of Double Down with Breslow is packed with insider tips, deeply skilled analysis, and in-depth discussions. Don't miss out on the ultimate resource for mastering the business of sports betting. Listen to Double Down with Breslow on the Evergreen Podcast Network or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Double Down with Breslow, the business of sports betting podcast.